0: Thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of the podcast series, It's Your Right. I would like to start off by each of you introducing yourselves and giving the audience a brief background of where you're from and what your position is. Um, My name's Cassie, and I'm here as a victim advocate at the Stanislaus County District Attorney's Office. Um, Cheryl, would you introduce yourself, please?
1: Yes, uh, I'm Cheryl. I manage the Victim Services Unit here in the Stanislaus County District Attorney's Office and I just wanted to say thank you so much for bringing the three of us together because I think we have uh, different things to offer and it's important for the community to understand that, so I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely.
2: Hi, my name is May Rico. My pronouns are she and her. I am the Executive Director of HAVEN uh, and I also want to thank you for the invitation to be here.
3: Hi, my name is Lisa Mantero-Moore and I serve as the Executive Director of the Stanislaus Family Justice Center. I've had the privilege of being with the center both as a volunteer and member of the board for a number of years. I'm really proud of the work that our staff does to assist the community. Perfect.
0: Well, thank you guys so much for that. Um, So I just have a list of questions that are frequently asked by victims of crime. Um, So let's get started with that. I'd like to start off with this one. Who is eligible for services from your agency? Lisa, would you go ahead and start, please?
3: Thank you, Cassie. The individuals that are eligible for services in our agency are people who are residents or residing within Santa Sauce County. That includes all of the county, not just Modesto. Although we're located in Modesto, we have residents of the county from Oakdale, Newman, Waterford, Sherlock, even Salida that are eligible to receive services. They can come into our office either by referral from a law enforcement agency, referral from a provider group, or maybe even um, a friend referred them over they're looking for services. So individuals who are victims of family violence, trauma, human trafficking, or elder abuse are able to come to our office and see if we can be of assistance to them and direct them to the services they need.
0: Great, Cheryl, would you tell us what um, services people are eligible for or who is eligible for services at the district attorney's office?
1: Sure. Um, It's a pretty broad category. So in the DA's office and the Victim Services Unit, we are serving any victim of crime. So if you are a victim of crime, um, we do need a law enforcement report for the most part, not always, but for the most part. But if you're a victim of crime in uh, Stanislaus County or even outside of Stanislaus County, but you're now residing in Stanislaus County and want to work with us here, then uh, we can assist you in our office.
0: Great, and what about you, May, over
2: at Haven? Haven services are focused on the impact of domestic violence, sexual assault, or human trafficking, and our services are also located and centralized in Stanislaw County. However we do have some people who call our crisis line from out of county or who might live out of county but work in this county or have some tie where they need help with the restraining order here. So while mostly um, the people we work with are in this county, not always. And we have both intervention and prevention services. When people think of us, they mostly think of intervention services, meaning that we are providing advocacy or support to people who have experienced domestic violence, sexual assault, or human trafficking. But we have a broad prevention program as well that speaks more to generalized audiences about the dynamics of abuse, what healthy relationships looks like. What does consent look like, Um, that sort of thing. So, trying to get at the root causes of violence and the societal structures that lead to violence.
0: Thank you for that information, all of you. Um, Speaking of, I know, May, you said that you have a a crisis line. So, another question is, what if I need help in the middle of the night? Um, Are victims able to go to you guys during that time?
2: So at Haven the one number I want people listening to remember is our crisis line number, which is five seven seven five nine eight zero. And that number is answered 24 hours a day by a trained staff member. So if you are needing support any time of the day or night, whether it's you know during the week, weekend holiday, you can always call that number. And that's if you know something might have um, triggered you and you are feeling I really need to just, talk through with someone this, this feeling that came up for me, I'm not sure where it came from, I, I just need some help talking through it, you can call our crisis line for that. If you um, are just trying to figure out what type of agency might help with a particular need you have, you can call our crisis line for that. If you are in a dangerous situation and you are needing to come to our shelter or find some other type of um, safe housing, you can call our crisis line for that. If you need someone to come take you out of a dangerous situation, that would be a 911 call calling the police for sure. Um, But if you have fled and you're safe in the moment and you're just not sure what to do next, you can absolutely call our crisis line for that. Fantastic. Cheryl, um, is there anything
0: that Victim Services is able to offer in the middle of the night or do you have specific parameters of, of times? So, actually, we do have services in the middle
1: of the night. So, we have um, in the DA's office rotating teams of two advocates on call, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're responding to the call from law enforcement. So, when May said, you know, if you if it's a situation uh, where you need to be taken out, you know, there's an emergency, right? That you need help getting out of a situation, um, you need to call 911. Law enforcement, once they respond, they can identify whether or not um, having victim services respond could be helpful. So if so, they will contact our 24-hour line and um, bring advocates out to the scene. So as I said, two advocates are on call um, every day of the week, of every <laughs> week of the year, and uh, they can respond out to the scene and work with law enforcement to identify what the needs are of the victim. Um, Some of this has changed a little bit with COVID and, you know, maybe we'll get to that at some point in the conversation, but we're still responding to the scene. We're still providing um, important sort of uh, emergency resources to victims, um, no matter what time of day or night it is.
0: Perfect. Lisa, does the FJC provide services
3: um, in the middle of the night or anything? It's a great question, Cassie. The Stanislaus Family Justice Center is only open from the hours of 8 to 5 each day. And of course, if people need services um, after hours or emergency services, they need to call 911 or the numbers provided by the Haven. The um, safety of the victims and their families is utmost. So the individuals who come into our office, is usually during business hours. We may have opportunities for group sessions and other activities after hours, but for purpose of navigating clients through our system and legal services, it's during 8 to 5. Perfect.
0: Thank you for that. So what it sounds like is Haven is the only um, response that will go without law enforcement. Um, So speaking of that, what if a victim doesn't want to contact law enforcement? Um, May, would you mind starting that one off?
2: So for Haven services, you don't have to have Police. Uh, you, know, you don't have to have called the police or made a police report. When when someone comes to us, our focus is: what do you need to be safe right now? What do you need to be safe over the next few days? What do you, do you need to be safe long term? Wherever wherever your particular need is at that moment. Now, as part of that conversation, we will absolutely talk about police involvement as one one possible response. If you have not yet called the police. But you guide that conversation and you decide whether that's going to happen. We might kind of help you think about um, how does not calling the police help keep you safer? For some people, they might be hesitant to call the police because of uh, false information that their abuser has given them or things that they've made up or um, uh, not understanding what's going to happen when the police come out. So sometimes after talking it through with an advocate, they decide that they do want to call the police. Other times it's based on past experience and they don't want to risk something happening that happened before um, and it just doesn't feel safe in that moment for them to involve the police in what's happening. And we'll honor that as well um, as much as we can. So, uh, so we really do let, let the, the client take the lead in um, what their safety is going to look like and what role law enforcement might play in that.
3: Lisa, how about you? Thank you May, we too encourage the safety of what the client feels like is best for them. There could be any number of circumstances that um, compromise someone's comfort level in calling law enforcement either their status in the United States, uh, their own comfort level, literacy with the language, uh, family cultural issues, any number of things and just general fear um, and trauma that they've experienced. So we wanna help them navigate what works best for them. One of the things that we're very proud of at the center is that 80% of our staff are Latinas and Spanish speakers. So we have the ability to communicate with our clients coming in and help them feel comfortable with people that are understanding their concerns. In addition to our providing uh, bilingual services to the Hispanic population, we also have availability as I know the other agencies do as well for translation services, in any number of languages. So sometimes the idea of calling the police from maybe their own experiences either here or elsewhere may make them very uncomfortable and create even more trauma for them. So we wanna be as helpful as possible to give them the space they need to make their decisions and make safe decisions for their family. So we do encourage people to navigate it as they see fit, but we do want to protect their safety as well. So individuals coming to our center are safe. We have uh, oftentimes law enforcement on site uh, that may be helpful to them, but we're also able to keep them in a capacity so that they don't feel pressure um, be a member of the LGBTQ community or other cultural um, challenges they may face when they come into a center looking for assistance.
0: Cheryl, do you have anything to add on to that?
1: I, I do, actually. Uh, and I you know, for us, it's very different. So I'm really grateful for the partnerships with Haven and the Family Justice Center because they serve victims who aren't in a position right now to call the police. And we recognize that, we recognize there are reasons that people may not want to call the police right now, um, but they still need to be served. So it's, it's a great partnership to know that they're there and they can help those individuals for us. Victim witness assistance centers were um, created by the legislature, and we have to follow the California Penal Code in terms of the services we provide. So a law enforcement report, for the most part, is is required. And part of that is because we're, you know, part of the role we play is to help you with a, a claim application to the California Victims of Compensation Board. If in order for us to help you get some sort of um, financial assistance with medical, you know, out-of-pocket medical expenses, or um, counseling, or um, heaven forbid, funeral and burial expenses, there's a whole variety of things that we can get help for you um, with the California Victims Compensation Board. However, for the most part, law enforcement reports are required for that. So we all have different roles to play, and you know. As I said, it's it's terrific that there are options for victims because again, we recognize um, not all of them are in a position to call law enforcement. Um, but if they do, and they've filed that report, we're here and can help them through the process. Not only with CalBCB, as I mentioned, but also just how do you navigate the criminal justice system? How do you know how do you get through the court process? It's it's um, difficult at best.
0: Fantastic, thank you ladies for that information. Um, A really good question that we have here is, I called the police, but now I don't want them to come out. I don't want anyone arrested and I don't want prosecution. What happens now? Cheryl, would you mind starting that one off please? Sure,
1: so that's very common. And if you're listening to this, um, you know, maybe you've had that experience before. Um, but it is a very common question that we get um, or concern that gets expressed to us by victims that we're serving. And the fact is, once the police have been called, and maybe you didn't call them, maybe a neighbor called them because that happens. Um, but once they've been called, they have an obligation to go out and see see what's happening. Um, they need to find out if everyone's safe. Um, they need to investigate what exactly is happening. Um, so, you know, we understand that Sometimes an individual may call the police because they want they want everything to just calm down, right? They'd like a law enforcement officer to come out and just, you know, tell this person to stop, make them leave for a few hours, try to get some cooling off period. Um, or, as I said, maybe a neighbor has called. Those things happen, um, and sometimes you change your mind or... It, it turns out that now law enforcement has found something that's gonna cause them to have to make an arrest in the case, um, it's, that is law enforcement's job. They, have, they are the ones that have to come out because their job is to keep people safe. And then ultimately the report may be sent to our office um, for prosecution. And we then have a legal obligation to look at that report and determine whether or not charges should be filed. We do take into consideration, attorneys that are reviewing the reports do take into consideration um, all the elements, uh, everything that's in front of them, and even what the victim has to say. But at the end of the day, their response, those attorneys, their responsibility is to the state of California. So they may have to file charges. They may have to pursue prosecution because that's their that's their legal obligation. Um, but we, we recognize that that's a challenge so what now right that was the i think that was the last part of the question or the or the question itself um really the only thing there is to do for a victim of crime is tell the truth that's it just tell the truth about what happened so if the case goes forward in prosecution we want to do everything we can to help keep you safe so we're going to provide all the services that we can in our unit and refer you out to places like Haven and the Family Justice Center, um, because as you've heard so far, they are able to do things that are different than what we can do. Um, But ultimately, you could be in a position where you don't really want prosecution, but it's going forward anyway. And in those cases, we're gonna do everything we can to support you through the process, all that's required of, of any individual taking a witness stand is to tell the truth, whatever that is, and um, all the parties go forward and, and do their jobs. You know, from our perspective, what we want is for that individual victim to be safe. We want that offender to be held accountable. That's it, a, that's a, we could get into a giant conversation about all of that, right? Um, but that's really where we're coming from and we know that there's inherent risk in all of that. We 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 know that. So we want to do everything we can to help keep the individuals safe and get someone all the resources that they need in order to do so. I don't know if anyone else has any other comments about what now may is that something that you could comment on?
2: Yeah, I mean I think the only thing I would add to everything you said Cheryl is if you are the victim in a case that's moving forward and you are feeling scared and anxious and you're not sure what's happening, I mean, so much of, so much of those emotions come from not understanding the process. Ask questions. Never be afraid to ask questions. You you, you will have a victim witness advocate assigned to you who that's their job is to help you understand um, what's happening. They are more than happy to do that. Um, our advocates can help with that. Advocates at the Family Justice Center can help with that. and. You know, we find the more information that you have and the more you understand about the process and what the next step is going to be, the more it feels like um, you're a little more empowered as you go through the process. So, so never be afraid to ask questions.
0: Lisa, did you have anything to add on
3: to that? I think both May and Cheryl have been great in reassuring the public, don't be afraid to ask. And that not knowing the process, not understanding what it entails is very complicated for individuals in in, uh, distress. So we wanna make it as easy as possible, Provide them the resources. And just as a small example, many years ago before our Family Justice Center was open, we were touring other Family Justice Centers. And what really stuck in my mind that first day of these tours was an individual that was sitting in the lobby when we went to that office. Um, And they were just sitting there in the lobby um, and I thought maybe they're waiting for their appointment time. What I learned after the fact is that was the fourth day they had come to that lobby and they had not found enough strength and resolve to go to the counter and ask for help. So it's our job to understand that people may not be able to um, speak the language that we know be it verbally or emotionally understand what we know because we we have a comfort level with the process and there's a lot of fear. And so we have to understand the fear at their level and offer services that make them comfortable. And so it, it means changing our, mode, our modes of operation to meet the people that come to our door. And I can assure you that the family uh, families that go to Victim Service Agency for the DA's office, find that care and support. And I can assure you when people work with the Haven, they find that care and support and they find advocates, which then grows relationship for them and their families for positive futures.
0: Thank you so much. Um, so I know you were talking about you know having to to change the way to help people sometimes because there can be a significant amount of fear um so one question is what should i do if i didn't want services before but now i do um may would you mind answering that one
2: sure so for us it's it's simple just call call the crisis line number 5775980 uh there is no expiration date there is no limited number of times you can call you might be calling because you just experienced violence. You might be calling because you experienced it 20 years ago and suddenly it's feeling very present and you don't know why. Um, you you might never have told anyone else or told the police. Uh, we don't require any kind of, of proof. It's just you're, you, you experienced one of those three types of crimes and you need some assistance or support around it. Uh, and give us a call, Lisa.
3: I agree, the answer is it's it's okay. It may take several times to find what you're looking for and not all the services we offer is a fit for the person calling us. It's possible somebody may reach out to our office looking to meet a certain need and we by the confines of our roles may not be able to assist them, but we can certainly try to give them the resources they need to where they wanna go. Our job isn't to help them make a decision it's helped to give them the resources they need to make their decision so they're welcome to call us back and if we can help them we will and it may be many times later or history of relationships before they feel comfortable or find what they're looking for
0: cheryl is there a limitation at all for services offered with victim services
1: yes and no um so we do just as you've heard we we want you to call so if you didn't want services before and you've decided now that you do want some help Call. So I haven't given you a number yet, so I will give you a number now. Um, If you call our Victim Services Unit, it's 209-525-5541. Call, explain what's happening or what has happened. Um, If, again, we're going to be asking you for a law enforcement report. So if you have that report number, provide that. If you don't have it, call anyway and give us your name and we'll do everything we can to try to find uh, whether or not we have a report. So there's no limitation in term time frame in terms of calling us to to seek assistance. There is a limitation if what if the assistance you want is to put together a claim application with the California Victims Compensation Board. Um, there, it's now seven years from the date of the crime, but there there is um, a restriction there. So, but if you're you might not be sure about any of that, right? When it happened exactly, you know, what the date was, et cetera. Just just call that number, um, 209-525-5541. If you call that, let us know who you are, and we'll do everything we can to figure out whether or not we have a law enforcement
0: report. Perfect. Thank you. Um, Lisa, I want to start with this one um, for you, please. Says, I've heard a lot about human trafficking. I think this might be
3: happening to me, but I'm not sure. How do I know? That's an excellent question, Cassie. Human trafficking is a conversation and a topic we talk about far more often in the last few years, but we probably in our local communities didn't think much about it or have that terminology associated with it before. If someone feels as though they're, they're being um, exploited or their bodies being used for purposes of sex trade, labor trafficking, domestic servitude, They have resources in our community to help. They can reach out to the Haven. They can reach out to our officers, other providers of human trafficking advocacy support in our community, um, including uh, several programs associated with different things. If individuals come to our office, we will navigate with them, discuss their situation, and try to provide them the resources they need to either get them the assistance they need, maybe provide them information to the district attorney's office, um, help them where they need to be helped. So if they're leaving a situation, if it's violent, um, shelter, um, whatever they need, uh, we are making more of an effort in our community to address this need and more educating the community as a whole, not just the victims of it, but the community that it could be happening. And it's a very important issue with respect to human trafficking. Um, and we need to have this conversation um, at all levels, and particularly how it affects our young people and with them. Um, the ability for communication, social media, and devices—we need to be vigilant that um, our children, our young people, are at risk for these items. And there are more people in our community that have been victims of trafficking than we're ever aware of. <laughs> May I'm sure that you can address that with your team that works with trafficking as well. Yeah. So. If
2: you know that you're being trafficked or that you have experienced trafficking, all all the things that Lisa said, um, there there are definitely resources in the community that can help you and any of our agencies can help you get to those resources. I want to talk a little bit about if you're not sure, maybe this is happening and I'm not sure. So for sex trafficking, ask yourself if someone else is forcing or coercing you to do things sexually you don't want to do. And that other person is benefiting from it. That's really a key thing. If that other person is getting some type of, you know, money or trading goods, they're they're benefiting in some way from acts that you are doing that you don't want to, you're, you're being trafficked, you're experiencing trafficking, and there are absolutely resources that can help you. Um, with labor trafficking, If if you think about most jobs, ask yourself the question of what would happen if I didn't want to do this. What would happen if I chose not to go back to this job? Or what would happen if I just quit and walked away? Do I have the freedom to do that? You know, in in most jobs you do, you you lose your income, but the employer doesn't have any ability to force you to come back. So if there is something about your employment that makes you feel you can't do that, you don't have the freedom to do that, there would be a consequence to you or a family member, or you owe this person. They've told you that you're working off a debt and you have to stay. Those are some red flags that you might be being trafficked. So you can absolutely call our crisis line, call the Family Justice Center, and if you know that you are in a place where it's not safe for you to leave, where you don't have the freedom to just walk out the door, look for an opportunity somewhere to call 911 and have the police come help you. If you are at a doctor's office and, and have a, min- a minute with the doctor alone, any, any system like that where you have a minute with someone alone, Um, telling them the person who's, who's out there in the waiting room is hurting me. I need you to call the police and I need you to keep that person from me until they get there. And the police will get you somewhere safe. Cheryl, was there anything you wanted to add? Yeah, actually regarding that, the, the last few things that
1: you said, so the place we're going to step in is um, with respect to the police will get you somewhere safe. Um, So if you do call law enforcement, Um, Right now, we are consistently reminding law enforcement that they can call us out to the scene for that, that, you know, that's an area where we can help, um, including like putting someone somewhere safe. um, While we then work with agencies like Haven and the FJC and without permission to figure out what happens next. How do we get this person to the next safe place? Um, So if you do call law enforcement, you can ask for an advocate. You can tell them. I would really like a victim advocate to come out here. That's probably not going to be a natural thing for you to say, right? For one thing, um, it's very difficult in that scenario to see yourself as a victim. However, if you are in the situation that May has described and you've decided to call 911, ask for an advocate. Just let them know. I would really like an advocate to come out here. And they know our number. They'll call us and bring us out to the scene. And it's just... We wanna be there to help you um, feel more comfortable in the conversation with law enforcement
0: and help get you to a safe place. Perfect. So of course, victims of crime are not necessarily always adults. Um, So I wanna know, do any of your agencies have specific services for
3: children or teens? And can we start with you, Lisa? Thank you, Cassie. Mm -hmm. Uh, The answer is yes, we do have specific services for children and teens. We, um, inside the Stanislaus Family Justice Center, we house the care center, which is where individuals who um, are identified as uh, victims of crime or um, assault and uh, their family members receive um, uh, assistance, counseling, and information on their situation provided it goes to the authority. So that's our care center. And individuals who come through there are given the opportunity to participate when we call our Kids zone. Our Kids zone is... Um, our children's curriculum area where we have individuals who are not only victims of family violence, but may family members or witnesses where they can participate in our curriculum there. It has been different during COVID. I'm not going to um, dance around that, but we have a really wonderful program um, coordinated by Esmeralda Cuevas of our staff. And our kids zone is a really friendly, comfortable environment. And what our individuals do there in the kids zone is their parents could be receiving services at the center or they themselves can be victims of trauma. And we give them the opportunity to develop a curriculum for them. We actually participate in Camp Hope every year with the members of our young people who are um, victims and their family members. They can participate in Camp Hope and it's a great experience to get these skills as a camping and team building experience. And last year we even did it virtually in COVID and this year we'll be doing Camp Hope again, but it'll be a day camp. We try to continue to keep our opportunities to engage our young people who need this type of support and assistance. We also do um, other programming to help them with counseling services and help get their family members into the care they need for providing other resources, maybe to their parents, maybe with some parenting classes and other programming to help keep them safe at home. I know that the Haven has a tremendous number of things for young people as well. May?
2: Yes, thank you, Lisa. So we have both intervention and prevention programming that are focused on youth. So our intervention programming is uh, group-based for uh, children who have experienced domestic violence growing up in a home that's violent, for children who have experienced sexual assault. Um, many of our referrals come through the care center that Lisa mentioned. And for teens who um, either have experienced domestic violence in the home that they grew up in or they, in, in their primary relationships. Um, they're, they're experiencing violence. So, so those are, those are the group-based programs we've had for many, many years, um, focused on youth who've experienced violence. And then our prevention programming is school-based. We have, um, advocates at Stan State for young adults that are, um, or anyone who's a student at Stan State. We have, uh, uh, the heart program in our high schools, And we have modified versions of our um, intervention programming in after school programs uh, called Kids Count. So if you are a parent and you are wanting um, some of that prevention programming at your school and you don't have it, um, I would encourage you to find whatever, whatever friendly inroad you have at the school to talk about, hey, how do we get, of Haven's programming out at our school because I think that learning about healthy relationships and learning about consent and learning about um, what abuse looks like and and what to do if you find yourself in, in uh, experiencing abuse is uh, something that I want my kid to learn about.
0: Cheryl, is there anything specific for children or teens um, for services that Victim Services offers?
1: So we do have uh, victim advocates who are trained In the areas of um, child abuse and child sexual assault and so that those advocates will work directly with the families and the children in those cases Um, so we do some additional things in those cases that we don't always do in every case for example court orientation so we will work with the judge and the bailiff in the court to um, basically gain access to an empty courtroom so that we can take that child and their parents in, or their parent or their guardian, or whoever that might be, take them into the court, um, kind of show them the process. We'll have the deputy district attorney there as well so we can show them what to expect if they're going to be taking the witness stand. Um, We'll have them sit in the chair, let them experience what that's like. Um, The attorney may, um, you know, let them know where people are going to be seated so that they understand, you know, what's going to be happening when they do go to court. So that's that's one area. Um, Another thing is we have a facility dog named Honor and um, she's certainly not only for children, but um, largely utilized in those cases. So Honor is um, a terrific asset to us. She's able to, um, if allowed by the judge, she's able to be in the courtroom, in the witness stand, tucked away, kind of, um, helping that child through the process or out in the hallway or in interview rooms here in our office. Um, but She's a, a terrific asset to a child who, I mean, that's a very, um, that whole process is very emotional, very traumatizing for adults. So um, you can only imagine the impact on children. Um, so that's that's something that we do here is try to help advocates gain the knowledge that they need to be able to help Um, young people through that process Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing and I feel like there's something else I want to share with you Cassie and I just can't even think of it right now
0: (laughs) well I think you know hitting on having the facility dog is definitely a a big one so it's okay that you can't remember Um, I'd like to close out with asking one question and that you know has affected everybody Um, So how has um, COVID-19 procedures changed um, what your agency has to offer? May, would you please start?
2: Yeah, this has been a super challenging year. Um, And I want to start by thanking everyone for um, their patience as we've had to modify our service provision model. And that's thanking, you know, our partners, our collaborative agencies, and especially uh, the people who come to us for help. We know that what we've been doing is not um, best practice but it's it's the best way to keep everyone safe um clients staff community everyone so we all of the all of the services that could go remote did go remote and by that it's it's either doing um services completely over the phone or through video conferencing as that has become more common there, of course, are some things that, that just can't be done uh, remotely for restraining order paperwork. People have to sign it. There has to be some exchange. So those pieces we still would meet in person for. Um, we have continued to shelter people who need to um, who, who need a safe place to uh, with an undisclosed location to live for their safety. We have relied heavily on our hotel programs to reduce the number of people at our congregate shelter at any one time so that um there is so that we minimize risk of transmission and i'm very happy to say that we haven't had anyone identified as having COVID while they've been with us in our shelter so those measures have really worked um and and we're very grateful for our hotel partners who have helped um, ensure that we could still meet needs we've also continued to respond in person to the emergency room for sexual assault exams that was something that we we felt um, we needed to do and again our thanks to. Hospital partners with all of the precautions they were taking, our staff felt safe um, going in and still responding and able to be there and focus on what the victim needed us to do. So we're grateful for that. Everything else um, uh, shifted and our support group stopped for a very long time. We are starting to um, try and play with them in some type of virtual group setting with, with some mixed results. Our youth program was probably the hardest hit Um, so I don't know that that will, will really be able to get back, um, functioning the way it was until we're able to be together again in person, but our staff are doing the best they can with, with reaching out virtually and putting together activity kits for families to pick up and take home and, and, and trying to figure out other ways to do that. Um, you know, we're just looking forward to being able to be together in person, um, again, and, uh providing services in the way that we know the community needs us to. Lisa, how's it been there?
3: May, in our situation at the Family Justice Center, mirrors what you've had to do as many other organizations have had to do throughout our nation. We have totally become um, conversant on, by Zoom, video conferencing and other platforms to talk to people like we're doing for these podcasts, which has been great. It's probably something we never tried before and it's certainly something we're gonna keep in the future not wanting to take away from our human contact but not wanting to lose our opportunities to touch with people. We've modified our service uh, delivery. We stayed open entirely through COVID, very proud of that our staff work remotely to continue to provide services to our clients and their families. We've activated curbside pickup, document signing outside, other types ways of being creative. Our kids zone programming went from being in-house where they picked up their curriculum packets, took them home with them. We still continued our camp hope under modified circumstances using iPads and other devices. We never thought about camp before that we would do these things. I would agree that our hardest hit area has been our young people and our youth services. And we do hope once we can be together again, we can have that as robust and even grow it from there. So I do think as tricky as COVID has been and harsh as it has been, to all of us and our family members and everybody we serve, we appreciate people being flexible, the phone calls, the coming into the center, uh, safety first, because we do have to make sure we protect all the people that come in. So we are still maintaining our COVID protocols and much of our staff is working remotely, which has been very helpful for us going forward in our future, we're going to be able to take some of these things we've learned during this past year and implement them for ways to maybe reach out and touch a community we couldn't reach out to before. So we're trying to be creative with our future after COVID, but during the COVID experience, it has certainly forced us to uh, scratch our heads, come up with other ways to serve people, be creative, and um, we miss being in the same rooms with each other, I think just like everybody here on this call does.
1: I would agree if you don't mind me jumping in, Um, you know, I could basically reiterate much of what you've just heard, but for us, we are a government building. So, um, you know, one of the first things that happened was, you know, the County indicated that the government buildings had to close their doors to the public. So we were still working, but we couldn't allow public into the, into our building. So some of that is still continuing. It's just on a limited basis. Um, So that's been difficult. We were very used to working with people in person. However, we've quickly, um, you know, what is a year ago now, sadly, we very quickly um, changed what we were doing. Uh, Everyone in the victim services unit was issued a a laptop and uh, they all had cell phones and they all went home to work remote for a period of time. Um, Some have remained remote to this day. um, And Others have been working in the office for for several months now, but pretty much um, in terms of communicating with victims, uh, helping them understand their rights and understand the services available to them, making calls for referrals um, to help victims, getting people through the California Victims' Compensation Claim. We've been able to do all of that over the phone and online. Um, So that's been terrific. We really didn't have any big hiccups in that area outside of, you know, technological challenges from time to time. Um, But we've been able to continue those services. Um, Some of the big challenges are court-related. So, you know, know, one of the things that we're pushing frequently is that victims have the right to be present. Victims have the right to be heard um, by the court, and, you know, the courts have had to reduce The number of people in the courthouse for everyone's safety um so that has presented some challenges for us so we've there are added things that we do now advocates um fill out as cassie knows um advocates fill out requests to attend hearing in order to try to get their victim or their victim's family into uh the courtroom if they want to be present Otherwise, we're encouraging people to watch the live stream. So all the courthouses, if you don't know, all of the courtrooms, I mean, are um, live streamed now. Um, so we'll encourage people to watch the live stream as well. That's, that's something that I honestly hope will continue. Like in a perfect world, the live stream would continue and the courts would open back up. Um, because there are indeed people, um, victims of crime, victims of homicide or family members of homicide victims some of those are out of town coming to court is not an option but they'd really like to be present they'd like to see what's happening firsthand and so for those individuals the live stream would be great for some victims it's it's you know all the pre trials all these hearings where they're going in to kind of talk about the status and set the next date all of those hearings are, it's, it's very difficult for some victims to go to every single one of those hearings, but they want to be a part of the process. They'd like to see what's happening firsthand. It's just scary to be there. Maybe they don't want to face their offender every single pretrial. So having the live stream available for that, I think would be terrific. No one on this call gets to control whether that happens or not, but um, with any luck, there's some, you know... The court's watching this at some point, and they'll they'll hear what we're saying, uh, because I think that would be terrific. But that's you know that's that's been challenging. Um, just that um, person-to-person contact, you know, not having that has been challenging, not only for us with victims we serve, <clears throat> but also for us with each other, um, because there's been I, I mean several a handful of us half of the staff actually have been remote pretty much the entire year. Um, so that so there's some you know challenges that we face there right because we're very used to working together Um, some of the other areas we have an elder abuse MDT that we um, host here in our office that has gone remote or or virtual which is great that we're able to do it virtually um, and it's also difficult for some people to do that virtually. So um, again, that, you know, face-to-face, person-to-person contact is sort of missing. Um, and, you know, we have concerns, right? We have concerns for domestic violence victims who um, are in an environment that's unsafe and especially during the stay-at-home orders would not have felt safe to call law enforcement. But that Those things are something we think about all the time. I'm sure everyone on this call thinks about those things all the time. Child abuse victims who, um, you know, a lot of that is uncovered, so to speak, in the school setting, but they're not at school. So it doesn't get uncovered. And so, you know, we worry about that. And then finally, elders, um, you know, a lot of them are afraid to leave their home, and many of them are in a, a situation where the abuser is a family member that that person is the one they rely on especially during stay-at-home orders they're they're bringing them their groceries right they're they're sort of stuck there so some of those things are are really concerning to us um so we're hoping that you know when things change I, i don't know that they'll i think there'll be a new normal i don't think we'll ever go back to whatever normal was but when things change hopefully we will Get to um, be more involved in interactions with those those individuals and and help them through a really difficult process. And the other piece is court is um, it's it, there's been a big backlog. Lots of things have been pushed back. Emergency orders have been extended, and so um, it's it's going to be really challenging for all the parties going forward once things start opening up. There's a lot of cases to get through.
0: Um, and a
1: lot of individuals to support.
0: Absolutely. Well, that was the conclusion of all the questions that I had. So Cheryl, May, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me here today. Um, Definitely answered so many questions and very, very well, I feel definitely um, like I have gained more knowledge from this. So we hope to see you again on the next episode of It's Your Right. This podcast was brought to you by the Stanislaus County District Attorney's Office Victim Services Unit, here to help,
3: support, and empower.